Thank you to the team. Just a, a shout out to folk on Zoom. Uh, trust that you're able to uh, hear God's word clearly uh, and that technology will be our friend today. We've already had some uh, interesting uh, stuff happen with technology today. Folks, we're looking at this passage. Oh, sorry, we'll, before we'll start, we'll pray for kids for Christ as they head off, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to open your word and to hear your voice. We thank you for our children and those that are leading them and guiding them through this next time together. Father, you will help them to hear your voice. You'll help them to respond in obedience to you. And Father, you'll help them to be those young lives that grow into adults that are willing to live for Jesus. Father, that's the prayer we pray for ourselves, that uh, as we hear your word this morning, that you'll speak to us, each one individually, and that we will know what we need to do to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this year we have been journeying along on Be True in 22, what it means to be genuine, authentic, realistic um, followers of Jesus. And I trust that you've been encouraged. I'm just going to shift some stuff here. So in, in doing that, we've been looking at 1 John, the letters of 1 John, uh, for the last couple of months. And so we're talking about getting real, getting real. What's it mean to get real as followers of Jesus? What's it mean for someone to identify you and me as real followers of Jesus? Um, there's always this trap in being a pastor that you're identified as a pastor in some traditions if you wear your collar backwards. Well, I don't. I'm so thankful. Have to pay me a lot more to do that, folks, if you want me to, by the way. Um, <laughs> we're not going there. Uh, I often say it would be so easy, much easier to be a Salvation Army officer because I wouldn't have to decide what to choose to wear each day. And you would stand out, wouldn't you? You'd be seen as some image. But what about real followers of Jesus? How do we stand out? How do we, how do we live our lives so that people will sit up and take notice that person is a man of faith or a woman of faith or a follower of Jesus. What is, does it mean to, to get real? Well, last week we looked at get real about love and uh, we saw that John took an interesting style in his letter writing and then he highlighted the negatives as in what happens when there's a lack of love. He actually talked about uh, the potential for being murderers when love's taken out of the equation. He talked about uh, a meanness that people have because when love's not there, selfishness takes its place. Well, this is part two this morning. So we're going to look at Get Real About Love, part two. And uh, I believe John has more to say to us from his letter about how we should be uh, the loving people made in the image of God, loving as God loves for one another, for the people around about us. So join with me if you have your Bibles here, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, just going to be reading through from verses 19 to 24. And this is what it says. Uh, sorry, um, Gary, could you link that screen, please? You know how to link that one? It says this. 1 John 3, verses 18, we'll start at. And so John writes, Dear children... Let us not love with words or tongue, 
but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Verse 20 continued, For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Familiar verses, I'm sure. John was all about growing in God's love. He was all about understanding God's love. And if ever you want to... uh, Look up references on love. Look to John's Gospels or John's letters. They're they're just um, saturated in John's appreciation of the love of God shown to us and how we might reflect that to others. Paul prayed in the same way. In one of his letters, he prayed this way for believers. He says this, And I pray, in Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 9, he says, And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, this same word is that agape love that John uses throughout his Gospels and his letters, be rooted and established in love and may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So that was Paul's prayer for the believers in the churches that he ministered to. So this morning, as we look at this passage in John's letter, I want us to to have a look at, in in a a greater depth, what it means for love to be real, for us to get real about love in our lives. And once again, I'll touch on that definition of love. We need to do that. We need to examine our daily walk with God because our daily walk with God will show ourselves, will show God, will potentially show others that we are genuine, we are authentic, we are real about loving the way God wants us to love. So we're going to do a couple of things. We've got three aspects we're going to look at to have a look at this real, genuine love in our lives. First thing we're going to do is we're going to look inwards, verses 19 to 21. And we need to ask the question, am I walking in God's forgiveness? Does my life show that I'm walking in God's forgiveness. Just referring back to those verses again, it says this in verse 19, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What's all this about? The question we need to ask is, do we have a condemning heart? Do we have a condemning heart? Is our heart condemning us when we do something wrong, when we think the wrong way, when we act the wrong way, when we say the wrong thing? Real, genuine, true believers in Jesus will have condemning hearts. Because, hands up, if anyone here is perfect and doesn't make any mistakes. Better put my hand down too, eh? God's spirit reminds us when we've done something wrong or we've had the wrong attitude or we've thought the wrong thoughts or we've, or we've said the wrong words. 
God's the one who condemns us, prompts us, reminds us when we are guilty of disobedience, when we're guilty of sin. True believers. If anybody says, I don't sin, I think there's somebody in the room telling lies. Because true believers know that we're not perfect until Christ returns and we can see him face to face. Sin that is not dealt with means that we're not listening to the heart that God has given us. We're not listening to his spirit within. We're not willing to be condemned by that heart. Do we have a condemning heart? Am I walking in God's forgiveness? I remember as a young fellow attending an um, evangelistic uh, uh, crusade, uh, outreach event, and uh, in the preparation for that, a prayer was, was a uh, very uh, powerful preparation. And one of the presenters, he had this picture up on the screen. Do you know, I looked for it, I couldn't find it. And it was a picture of a fellow down on his knees praying. And up in the top of the picture was a cloud bubble, God. But in between that was a concrete barrier. And even though the fellow on his knees was sweating tears as he prayed, the, the prayers were hitting that barrier and bouncing off, not connecting to God. you know what that barrier's name was? Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. And folks, if we're praying for something or praying for someone and there is stuff in our lives that we haven't got right with God about, do you think he's going to hear our prayers? If we are carrying unconfessed sin, if we have a condemning heart and we're not listening to it, then God won't hear our prayers. And we're not walking in God's forgiveness. But in the same passage, uh, in, in verses 19 and 20, uh, John writes that we can have a confident heart. This then is how we know that we belong to truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. If our hearts are condemning us, we can be confident, as long as we act on it, we can be confident that God will hear our prayers. God wants us to have a confident heart. He wants us to be able to ask him for things knowing that he hears and expectant that he will answer. If he didn't, why would we have this verse in 1 John 1, 1.9? Do you know what it says? Can you say it with me? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what it says. How about we say it again? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I think I learnt the RSV version. That's why it comes to memory. God wants us to walk a life of forgiveness. He wants us to know the love of God, but before we know the love of God, before we can experience in its fullness, we have to be willing to submit to God's will for our lives. God is justified in asking us for this, because of what he gave to us on the cross. He said, I paid, my son paid the price so that you could live a life of, of uh, righteousness and you could come back to that place over and over and over again where when you sin, I'll forgive you. You need to confess it. It was the same in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you might remember this picture, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, that's just got a picture of some of the things that are in it, the 
Ten Commandments on the two tablets of stone, the manna and Moses' rod. But the whole reason for the Ark of the Covenant was to remind people that God was present with his people and that he was a, a, a prayer answer, he was a promise-keeping God. And the, you know, anybody knows what the top of the uh, Ark of the Covenant was called with the two cherubim? The mercy seat. Why was it a mercy seat? Because that's where God showed his mercy to his people. He hasn't changed. He's still the same God. He wants to show us mercy when we do the wrong thing. He wants to show us forgiveness when we do the wrong thing. And we will do the wrong thing. God's grace and mercy are greater than anything we think we've done wrong. Some people say to me, I've done so many wrong things in my life. How can I be good enough for God to accept me? He's already accepted you because of what he's done on the cross through his son, the Lord Jesus. The psalmist reminds us of this when he says, God, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That talks about forgiveness, doesn't it? It's all about God's forgiveness. And in fact, there's another verse, which I don't have here, where it says he casts those things into the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. That's the God that we know. That's the God that we need to walk daily with in his forgiveness. But it comes when we are willing to confess our sin. And confess our sin and claim God's cleansing. There's a book that I've read over the years. I try and read it every year. It doesn't always happen. And I've probably remembered it before. It's called The Calvary Road. Does anybody know this book, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian? If you haven't read it, you should. What it's about is it's about the brokenness of the cross, uh, being broken at the foot of the cross. It's about the humility that it takes to bow at the foot of the cross of what Jesus has done and say, you did this for me. I want to walk in your forgiveness daily. I've got a couple of these to loan out. If you ever want to borrow them, come and see me. So daily we need to have this discipline, as it were, of confession and submission to God's will. And if we do, then we will grow more deeply in our appreciation of the love of God and our presentation of the love of God, our representation of the love of God to others. If we live a life of uh, a discipline of confession and walking righteously with God, then that will be evidence in the way we love others. So that, that means we have to look in. Am I there yet? I'm not. Are you there yet? We're on that journey together, but we need to do it regularly, if not daily. Say, Lord, is there anything in my life that you're not pleased with? Please show me. When he brings that to your mind or he leads you to a scripture that uh, identifies that, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I want to walk right with you. The second aspect of... of, um, Getting real about love, part two, if you like, is looking up. And we need to ask the question, am I walking in the fellowship of God? Okay, Am I walking in God's forgiveness? And the only way to do that is to confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But am I walking in the fellowship of God? Verses 21 and 22 tell us this. Oops, sorry, missed it. They say... 
that our heart will condemn us. But if our heart doesn't condemn us, then we must be walking in fellowship with God. Do you agree? If we're not told of anything we've done wrong, if God's not convicting us by his spirit, then we must be walking in fellowship with God. And we can actually take it by faith that I am walking within God's will. And I can come to him in prayer. And I can ask the things that are on my heart that he leads me to pray about. That's what it means. I can communicate with God through his spirit. I can hear his word to me through his word. We need to grow more and more and appreciate more and more God's love for us. So then we can share that with others. I've heard it said that there are actually four levels that we can grow in in prayer. And I'm researching some of these personally. But uh, level one is imitation. Uh, Jesus said, pray like this. So we call it uh, the Lord's Prayer. And sometimes I do that. Level two is initiation. Lord, I've come to you today because these things are heavy on my heart. The third level is intercession. I'm praying specifically for others today, Father. I'm praying on their behalf. Do something in their lives. And the fourth level is interaction. God, I just want to have a chat with you today. I want to hear your word and I want to respond to you. So the four levels of prayer. And I want to look at the fourth one. We could get into another sermon some other time about the other three. But Psalm 37 tells us this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Did you get that? Delight yourself in the Lord. Focus on him. Know who he is. Listen to his words. Hear his promises. All those things add up into it. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. I wonder if we miss the first step. I wonder if we're so busy in life that God's the last resort rather than the first resort. Happens to me. I've tried that, I've tried that. Oh, forgot to ask you about it in the first place. We need to relearn that walking in fellowship with God. Not asking his permission for everything because he's given us common sense and we've already experienced life in, of faith so we know some of the foundation stuff. But to have that conversation with God which includes him in our day or allows him to include us in his day, however you like to look at it. That's where I want to get to. I don't know about you, that's where I want to get to. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. What happens when we delight ourselves in the Lord? Do you know what? He gives me proper desires. Not selfish desires. Proper desires. He shows me his will so that I can pray according to his will. Wait on the Lord, it says. Commit your way to the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Anybody here got a problem with patience? Anybody here struck? I can't see too many people shaking. Yeah, some people are honest. But do you know what it means? It means that when I commit my way to the Lord and I trust him, I'm waiting to see him at work. I'm waiting to see what he does. How many times have you prayed, Lord, I'm trusting you in this situation. Help me to see when you actually do it. Is that a realistic prayer? I think it is. So 
Yes, we need to have those proper desires that God gives us because we're focusing on him. But then we have to have the patience to wait. So this learning to commune with God is, is a key element in knowing and growing in his love, which in turn we can show to others as we love others. So as you look up, are you walking in fellowship in the fellowship of God? Are you walking daily with him? And how do we do that? Firstly, I said we recognise confession, we practise a discipline of confession, and secondly, we practise the discipline of communing with God in prayer. A third thing, and we'll finish with this this morning, is that we need to look out. We need to look in. What's my condition? We need to look up. Am I walking in fellowship with God? We need to look out. Am I walking in the fullness of God? Am I walking in everything that God wants for me? Some people are, think it's a bit of a risk to do that because God might want to do things, want me to do things that are out of my comfort zone. Anybody been there? Out of their comfort zone? Yeah. That's what it means to walk in the fullness of God. Not just the gifts, not the talents, not the experience, not the knowledge that he's given us, but that walking in faith that trusts God's promises. That's what it means to walk in the fullness of God. In verse 23, John says this, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Does that sound familiar? I think there's some some familiar verses to those elsewhere in the scriptures. In fact, in uh, Matthew 28, we have what's called the Great uh, Commission, where it says, believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 27, Matthew writes about the Great Commandment, love God and love one another. So John's just picking up on that, I'm sure. I'm sure it was the common teaching of the day in the Christian church. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So if we're to walk in the fullness of God, that's what should be evident in our lives, isn't it? Loving God, believing his name, and loving one another. To do that, we need to understand that he actually lives in us. That we're not, he just doesn't say, here's all the information, go for it, you're on your own. He lives in us. God lives in us by his spirit. The presence of his spirit is what God has given up all who believe in Jesus to enable them to please God by their actions. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Did you get that? It's not plus this, plus this, plus that. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. God has given us everything. We need to understand that he is the one that lives in us by his spirit. I found this story about a man who uh, uh, was a a pillar of the community, a successful business person, and after 30 years, the town that he was in decided to honour him as a uh, community example, if you like. And so he had a chance to tell his story. And he said something like this. Friends and neighbours, I came to this place 30 years ago and all I had was the clothes on my back and the shoes on my feet 
and a small briefcase containing what little my father left me. That was his story. He went on to say, today I'm the CEO. In fact, I'm the owner and CEO of a large corporation. I own a number of hotels. I own uh, a number of apartment buildings and office buildings. I have uh, parts of my company uh, in 49 cities around the world. Yes, friends, he said, I've done well for myself and your town has been very good to me. Sounds like a success, success story, doesn't it? After he'd spoken, a young boy approached him and said, Sir, I'm curious. What did you have in that small briefcase that your father gave you? And just flippantly he said, Oh, only a half a million dollars and uh, a few th- hundred thousand dollars in shares. And what had he done with it? us everything we need for a living a godly life. That's what the Bible tells us. God has given us everything we need by the presence of his spirit to live a life that achieves all that God wants us to achieve. To love that life that loves the way God wants us to love. The next verse in Peter says this, and because of his glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. Do you know some of the promises of God? You should know lots of them. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So we need to understand, by looking out and asking the question, am I walking in the fullness of God? We need to understand that he lives in us and gives us every resource we need to do his will and to love like he does. But, there is a but, most of us don't understand how to live in him. He lives in us. Most of us don't understand how to live in him. And verse 24 reminds us, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Through God's word, we can be transformed and we can live a godly life, a life that honours him. Through the presence of his spirit, we have the power and the ability to obey God. Through the promises of the word, we can see the power of God, we can see the life of God as we live in him. It's a choice we make. It's a choice to recognise the resources God has given us, the blessings he's given us. It's a choice to use them. Anybody here old enough to remember the Beverly Hillbillies TV show? Anybody want to admit that? So the story for those that are younger is that uh, this poor country family went out shooting for rabbits or whatever it was one day, hit the ground and oil bubbled up through the ground. They became instant millionaires. They moved from country wherever into Beverly Hills and didn't know what to do with their wealth. They had all these resources but didn't know what to do with them. I think that's like us sometimes. God has given us all these resources. And for the Beverly Hillbilly show, all that was fun. It was a cause for laughter. But for us as Christians, if we don't utilise all that the Father has given to us, 
it's a cause for sadness and for sorrow. I ask you, are you using all that the word says is yours in Christ? He has given us everything that we need. As you look out at your life in this world, are you walking in the fullness of God? Or are you succumbing to the influence of this world which caused doubt rather than faith in what God can do? So when we learn to live by the word of God, you can be amazed at the love that God will put into your life and allow you to show to others. We have all we need to live life and to live a godly life. What do we need to do? What some practical things we can do? I want to give you three practical things very quickly that we will finish on today. Make it a habit of daily confessing your sin. Spend some time, whether it's in the morning or the evening. Say, Lord, has my life been pleasing and obedient to you today? And don't ask the next question until you have a sense that God has answered you, whether through something that you're reading or a conviction in your spirit. And if he shows you something, deal with it then. Say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Give me strength not to do it again. So we need to put this into practice, a daily confession of sin, a daily communion in prayer, not just a shopping list type prayer and asking God in intercession for others, but Lord, what do you really think about this? Most of you know that I'm a bit of a dreamer. You should know by now. And I have a hundred different ideas every day. And so God and I have long conversations, whether it's driving in the car or whether it's sitting at home doing something quiet. God, what do you think of this? I reckon this would go really good. No, not yet, John. Okay. I think he, he that's the repetitive thing. God says, not yet, John. Not yet, John. Okay. But if I just went and said, this is a great idea, I'm going to go and do it, the problem is that it's a not yet John moment and I haven't been listening to what God's saying. For any of us, we can have great ideas and great aspirations, but we need to know that God wants us to do that. And he will show us. He'll confirm it perhaps through his word, through a conviction of his spirit, or perhaps a brother and sister in Christ encouraging us to do something that we've been putting before God. Third thing there, a daily commitment to hearing and doing God's word. The most, well, one of the three important things is to spend time with God in his word. How's he going to speak to us? He will speak to us through a conviction of the spirit. He will speak to us through his word. But if we're not reading God's word, how can we hear what he's saying? We can walk in the fullness of God. We can walk in the fellowship with God. And we can walk in the forgiveness of God. If we practice these things, and I'm not talking about regimentalism, I'm not talking about ticking the boxes every day, I'm talking about this is something that I really want to do. I want to be right with you today, Father. I want to uh, commune with you and talk to you and hear you talk to me. I want to spend time in your word. Certainly, uh, Jesus encourages us, that, that, uh, encourages us this way. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. What that's saying is surrendering to Jesus. The cross was, was the Father's plan for Christ's life. God has a plan for our lives.
And whatever else it might mean for you and for me to embrace God's plan for our lives, it definitely means to be willing daily to confess our sin. I'll go back to that one. Daily to commune with God in prayer and daily to read our Bible. In Australia, we Christians have it pretty soft. We don't have yet the enemies of the cross calling us to deny Christ or to face death. But we do have the comfortableness and ease of life calling us daily to neglect some of these things. Oh, I'll read that passage tomorrow. Oh, I haven't got time to pray today or talk to God. I'll do that tomorrow. But sometimes the tomorrows keep on going to tomorrow, don't they? We have a freedom to spend time with God, to walk right with with God through confession and repentance. And I wonder if you really want to love others and see the love of God in your life, are you willing to put the effort in and commit to doing these things? Because if you do, I guarantee you, God will help you to get real, he'll help you to grow your love, and help you to have an impact on other people's lives. Let's pray. Father, we fall so short in many ways of your standards, of your, your hopes, of your, of, of your desires for us. But you knew that, Father. You knew in your sovereign capacity, you knew that we would never be perfect other than through faith in Jesus Christ. So thank you, Father, for giving us mechanisms and ways of connecting with you every day. Thank you, Father, for reminding us that uh, unless we confess that sin and disobedience, there's a blockage between ourselves and you. Father, unless we are willing to spend time talking to you, not talking at you, but also listening to you, then how will we know that you're saying yes, no, or wait a while? Father, unless we spend time in your word, how will we know the promises that you've given us that we can claim day by day and build our life on, which gives us that purpose for now and that hope for the future that many people in our world don't have? So, Father, we thank you for your reminder today that, that, that our heart within us reminds us that we are walking with you, that we can know the love of God We can share that with people around about us. Thank you, Father. Give us that enabling of your spirit, that willingness day by day to be available to do what you lead us into. We want to live lives that bring glory and honour to your name. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus.